0: Episode Sixty seven King Saul's Folly Now that Saul has been firmed up as the first king of Israel, the people respect him and honor him, and Nahash the Ammonite has been taken down, it appears that Saul dismisses the people to go back to their lands, but he keeps three thousand as his standing army, two thousand under himself, and one thousand under his son Jonathan. Considering what happens next, it was foolishness for him to send away his army. 1 Samuel 13.3 Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost at Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land, and said, Let the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost, and now Israel has become obnoxious to the Philistines. And the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. Josephus would add that Jonathan slaughtered the Philistines in the garrison at Gibeah. I mean wipe them out. What an introduction to Jonathan. Here is Jonathan's first mention in the Bible. He had about 1,000 men with him and he attacked the Philistines. Jonathan attacked. We will see in the next episode Jonathan does attack. I have no doubt his attack on Gibeah was a faith-filled foolish attack almost against greater odds for this is just his style. In the next episode, he will decide to attack an entire detachment of an enemy army with only two men. But talking about stirring up a hornet's nest, I mean, bad idea, guys. The attack was not timely. To dismiss your army of 300,000 and without preparations to attack your enemy, which was fully loaded. I mean, fully loaded. Let me explain. The Philistines were technologically and physically superior to the Israelites. Remember ways back how we talked about the Iron Age and the Hittites and the replacement of iron tools and weapons over bronze? Well, the guarded secrets of iron were spreading throughout the region. But the Philistines had begun to master the process. In addition to being expert traders and warriors, they were metallurgists. Though they didn't truly overlord Israel due to the judgeship of Samuel, they appeared to have had an economic and technological advantage over their neighbors, for it said, not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel, because the Philistines said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords and spears. So at the time of Jonathan's attack, only Jonathan and Saul had a sword or spear in their hand. How I imagine this is this way. The Philistines, through a combination of direct and indirect means, ruled over portions of Israel. They influenced them economically, traded through Israel, and indirectly controlled it through technological and numerical domination over the scattered tribes via well-placed scattered forts, also known as trading posts, within Israel. They probably made sure to buy off or knock off any known traders of iron to Israel, for they knew the consequence of access to iron to Israel, and in certain areas they truly did disarm Israel as well. They must have been very, very concerned when Israel joined under a king, and they must have been considering what to do when Saul and his son made up their mind for them as the hornet's nest of the Philistines was stirred, and it was directed at Saul's small army of only three thousand. 1 Samuel 13.5 The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with three thousand chariots, six thousand charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash east of Beth-Avon. Josephus would add a number to the soldiers as numerous as the seashore at 300,000. And if you go with that number, regardless, it's a huge army. Saul and his men freak out. And I find it strange he doesn't do the terror of the Lord thing, chop up your oxen bit. But he didn't. Instead, he reacts in crazy fear as his men start to abandon him, many to the side of the Philistines, until he only has 600 men hiding with him. And this is where the story gets really fascinating, and I had to go pull some commentaries because it's it's hard to understand, especially Samuel's treatment of Saul because it's so severe. So, pulling from Matthew Henry's commentary, this is what he says about Saul from 1 Samuel chapter 13. In 1 Samuel 13, Saul appears to be a silly prince, is his header, verse 4 through 5. Saul is invaded. Verse 6, Saul is deserted. Verse 8 through 10, Saul is disordered in his own spirit. Verse 11 through 13, Saul is chided by Samuel. And it goes on and on. Saul and the people are disheartened, dispersed, plundered, and disarmed. So things are not looking good for Saul in this episode. And we do not see a hero in him like we did previously with Nahash but we will see a hero and his son, Jonathan, very soon. What happens next is Samuel appears to have told Saul to wait for seven days for him, and he would make a sacrifice and pray for Israel and give Saul direction. After the appointed time and on the seventh day, at the end of the seventh day, Samuel wasn't there, at least within a few hours of the end of the seventh day. In his impatience and fear, Saul offered the sacrifices to God that Samuel was going to make. It appears Saul has a priest with him. Possibly Ahijah, the grandson of Phinehas, the son of Eli, because he appears in the next chapter. In fact, it is possible the ark is with him as well. Well, Saul calls for the burnt offering to make this sacrifice himself. In his crazy fear, he steps in front of a Levite to make the sacrifice himself. In the eyes of the Israelites, this was sacrilege. Only the Levites can do the sacrifices, and Saul is a Benjamite. And just as he is finishing the sacrifice, Samuel shows up at the end, and he freaks out. I mean, he freaks out. 1 Samuel thirteen, thirteen. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and appointed him ruler of his own people, because you have not kept the Lord's command. Then Samuel left Gilgal and went up to Gibeah and Benjamin, and Saul counted the men who were with them. They numbered six hundred. Well, pretty severe, huh? Well, I think so. I mean, seriously, I've questioned this myself. It's a hard one to understand. Thus, the digging through the commentaries. Why he would be judged so quickly and so severe. Well, let's consider what's going on here. Saul was at a low, and clearly acting in the flesh, and deeply in the flesh. And what a horrible error to dismiss his army. His planning was awful. He was consumed by fear, I mean consumed. He was hiding in a cave with his men. His men have deserted, many of his men have deserted him, and the Philistines were ridiculously superior to him in numbers and technology. He was so consumed by fear, he couldn't just wait a few more hours for Samuel. I can see Ahijah, just terrified that Saul was so consumed by fear that he called for the sacrifice himself. When he seized upon the burnt offering to perform himself, he opened the door of judgment upon himself. Back to the ark episode, we mentioned that due to God's presence upon the ark, it accelerated blessings and curses and judgment. The anointing will do this as well, and the presence that rests upon the Levitical sacrifices as well. Now that we've proximated God's presence in this moment, Judgment, good or bad, would be incredibly accelerated. See, there are a few things in the Old Testament you just don't mess with. The ark and the sacrifices. Those who mess with the ark and the sacrifices are dealt with swiftly. In this case, here is Saul steering clear from God's direction via disobedience, and God must judge his heart. We will see later what a disaster Saul can be, but here God sees the heart and judges him. For God sees our hearts and judges them accordingly. Saul was in over his head, and he went too far, especially regarding the sacrifices. Now let's consider what happens when a man interferes with the atonement of sin. Here is Saul, a man, a sinful man, consumed by fear, desecrating the atonement for sin, the burnt sacrifice, which would have brought Israel peace and victory. But instead, he desecrated the atonement sacrifice with the hands of fear. His sticky, dirty, sinful hands were defiling the sacrifices set up by God to atone for sin. Saul's unlawful sacrifice only fed the spirit it was made under. An unlawful sacrifice only feeds the spirit it is made under. In summary, a sacrifice in fear only breeds fear. There's more here. There appears to have been a double warning as to this moment. Back when Saul was anointed king, Samuel told him to wait seven days for him. And he told him this specific direction way out of sequence in time. This was completely out of place. But not by God because he slips instructions and secrets and words into prophecies all throughout the Bible. Sometimes mid-sentence or even mid-phrase. Because it was mentioned again, it appears to have been repeated by Samuel at least twice. But Saul just could not wait the full seven days. Could it be that if Saul had waited the full time period of seven days... This could have been Saul's version of Jericho, and a total defeat of the Philistines. But instead, a partial defeat of them comes at the hand of his son, Jonathan. And total defeat was prevented even by Saul himself. Concluding this episode, a message to kings. We're going to pull from the Matthew-Henry commentary again. He confirms the limited scope of his sin from our outside perspective. But at the same time, he applies the practical for you and me. Here are the words of Matthew Henry regarding this scene. God, in rejecting Saul for error, with seemingly little, sets off, as by a foil, the luster of God's mercy in forgiving such great sins as those of David or Manasseh and others. But we are taught hereby how necessary it is that we wait on our God continually. For Saul lost his kingdom for want of two or three hours of patience. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Message to Kings. Stay tuned next week as Jonathan redefines the word courage. Feel free to visit the Facebook page and leave a comment or question. Or if you want to chat, email me at kings at gmail.com.